Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Sarah Arison. She is president of the Arison Arts Foundation, a private grant-making organization that supports emerging artists and the institutions that foster them. She was immersed in the arts from a young age by her grandparents, visionary philanthropists who founded Arison Arts Foundation, Young Arts, and the New World Symphony, among their many philanthropic endeavors. Sarah's active across a broad cross-section of national arts organizations. She is chair of the Board of Young Arts, where she has developed strategic partnerships with institutions that include the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Sundance Film Festival, and more to provide aspiring talent with presentation and mentorship opportunities. Sarah is the chair of the board of MoMA PS1, a trustee of MoMA, Lincoln Center, the Brooklyn Museum, and board president of the American Ballet Theater, to name a few. She has also ventured into film producing, supporting projects that shed light on lesser known aspects of the arts. She co-produced The First Monday in May, a documentary film chronicling the creation of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts Costume Institute blockbuster exhibition titled China Through the Looking Glass. She also co-produced The Price of Everything, which was acquired by HBO, and she recently served as an executive producer for the film Aggie, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival. Welcome to this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast featuring visionary philanthropist Sarah Arison. Sarah, I am delighted and flattered to feature you on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored to be here. You've had some of the people I admire the most on this podcast, so I'm very excited to be a part of this group. Thank you so much. When did you recognize your passion and love for the arts? So it was actually a bit later in life. Um, While I was exposed to the arts uh, a lot when I was younger by my grandparents, it didn't really connect then. Artists and the arts were always integrated into my life. Every experience with my grandparents revolved around the arts. Um, whether it was going to the ballet together or the symphony. And if we were traveling together, we were going to museums. But I was a total math science nerd. I was pre-med. I wanted to be a geneticist. And so that was really my focus. And when I was a sophomore in college, 
I went to a, a, the annual Young Arts Gala with my grandmother. And, you know, I didn't go particularly because I was interested in the organization or the mission. I really went to spend time with my grandmother. And it was really in being there and kind of learning a lot more about the organization, the mission, and the artists that it worked with um, that I really started to think that I had a future um, in working in the arts and with artists. Well, welcome. <laughs> and what aspects of the arts do you enjoy the most? Visual, performance? Uh, I, you know, I have to say I, it's, there's not a specific discipline I enjoy the most. I think, you know, I was a dancer when I was younger, so I have a connection to that. But I love artists the most. And that is a completely across disciplines. I love seeing artists of all disciplines unleash their passion and their talent watching how they respond to the world around them, how they inform the way we see our world and then how they develop over the course of their careers. And so I think it's less about the discipline and more about the people that are out there creating all of this art that we are lucky enough to be able to see. And relating to the art that we can see, what form of visual arts do you uh, enjoy? (laughs) <laughs> what do you live with? <laughs> what do I live with? Um, so I would say, you know, I definitely live with painting and photography. Obviously, those are are easier to live with than, um, you know, dance or, or film. But I do try to see as much dance, film, um, theater as much as possible like I said, I think they all, like I said, some are easier to live with, some are, you know, more more accessible to see. Uh, I think it's really the mix of all that I enjoy, um, whether I'm just living with them or experiencing them out in the world. So within the art world, what are you most passionate about? Oh, um, I think that in everything that I do, I'm looking for ways to ensure that artists are getting the support they need from the earliest stages in their education and career. Say you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you know, your path is very clear and there are many, you know, points along the way where you are able to get help, where you know exactly what to do next. It's like, okay, first I need to, you know, take these classes in college and then I need to take my MCAT and then I need to move on to, you know, residency. It's, it's, it's very, it's very clear and there's a lot of support to pursue that. And I think being an artist, that doesn't exist. Um, there, there are, you know, there are very few resources and answers out there for aspiring artists of where can you find support? What are the next steps? Who can you turn to? Um, and so I think that creating programs, partnering with programs, and figuring out ways um, to support artists kind of at at all points in their education and career is something that I'm really dedicated to. Let's talk about young arts. What is your mission? Uh, Artists are at the center of everything that we do at Young Arts. Um, We're actually in our 40th anniversary right now, which is amazing. Young Arts is older than I am. (laughs) And for the past four decades, Young Arts has worked to empower artists to pursue a life in the arts. And we begin with that really critical juncture in the life of an artist when they are in high school thinking about college. So we start with 15 to 18 year old artists that are making, you know, really important life decisions. So after high school, where are they going to go to college? What are they going to study in college? And we're actually the 
one of the only organizations that supports artists across all 10 disciplines. So visual, literary, performing, design, arts, you know, across every discipline you can imagine. And then at all stages in development. So while we may begin with them in high school, um, we, we continue to support them through early career, you know, through emerging, through mid-career and established. Our signature program is an application-based competition. So it, we actually, applications just opened. We are open now. So if you know any talented 15 to 18-year-old artists across the country who would love a support network, we are here. So applications are open now. And um, that recognizes accomplished young artists across the country, across disciplines. So once you are a winner, uh, you're provided with creative and professional development opportunities throughout your career and really become a part of a network of artists, you know, renowned artists, dedicated artists, professionals, professors, um, who are all, you know, there to kind of help the next generation. And we are really dedicated to providing our award winners a lifetime of creative and professional development opportunities, which includes artists in residence program, emergency microgrants, professional development symposiums, presentation opportunities in cities around the country. We've really been working to expand what we offer our our winter community um, and where so that we can continue to provide as much support as possible to as many as possible at as many points as possible. That's wonderful. And regarding the applications, does it open at the same time every year? It does. We usually open in June every year. Okay. And then winners are announced in October. Where do you hope to see the organization in five years? Um, I really, you know, what what I was just talking about with kind of continuing to provide winners, uh, all these resources as they continue to grow in their lives and careers, you know, the organization was founded and it was really focused just on that one critical juncture from high school to college. And as, as time has gone on, I think really in the past 10 years, but I think mainly mainly the past five, we've really been focusing on expanding our, off- our offerings to winners at different points in their lives and careers. And one of the things that we have really used to do this is cultural partnerships. Um, I think because while we for 40 years have been identifying and supporting high school artists at that point, there are a lot of organizations out there that are doing it uh, very, very well at, at other points. So, you know, for example, when I heard that Sundance was uh, launching a program called Ignite like six years ago, and it was going to be for filmmakers 18 to 25, I reached out to them and I say, hi, you know, I know, I know you're launching a program for 18 to 25 year old filmmakers. We at Young Arts are identifying and supporting the greatest filmmakers across the country, aged 15 to 18. You know, would you like to create a partnership where, you know, we can basically just funnel our winners into your programming? And it was, it was so organic and it was so fantastic for, you know, our young filmmakers because Sundance is this incredibly well-established program where, you know, once you're in the Sundance family as a filmmaker, it's really life-changing and kind of stays with you throughout your life and career. And so rather than young arts kind of trying to reinvent the wheel at all of these different stages in an artist's life for all of these different disciplines, it's been looking to see who is out there doing this and doing it really well. Um, So, you know, some of our cultural partners, you know, range from Center for Art Performance at UCLA to Sundance 
to Jacob's Pillow, to Joe's Pub, Lower Manhattan Community Council. And we've been building this network of support, which has really been transformative um, because instead of being an organization being siloed, we're a community that's providing so much more for these artists than any of us could do on our own. Mm -hmm. And so what I would like to do over the next five years and, and continue on into the future is to continue to build that community because I think the stronger that we all become as a community, the more that we can provide for the artists who need us. So smart. What would you say are the characteristics of your favorite philanthropist? Uh, well, there are, you know, I'm so lucky. I, I serve on a number of boards. And so I really um, am fortunate to be able to work with a lot of extraordinary philanthropists. You know, my, my grandparents uh, were the original inspiration. They founded Young Arts uh, in 1981, and then they founded the New World Symphony in 1987 and were involved in so many organizations. And they're passion and generosity have inspired me my whole life. Um, I've also had the incredible privilege of working closely with, with my longtime mem uh, mentor, Agnes Gund. And, you know, Aggie is somebody who is inspirational in so many ways. You know, she is so generous with time. I think time is something that is crucial in philanthropy, you know, really time and expertise, connections, you know, obviously fundraising plays a real role, but it needs to kind of come in conjunction with all of those other things. And, you know, one of the most amazing things about Aggie is that she's never done, no matter how many organizations she has helped, people she has helped, um, incredible things she has done, she never feels like it's enough. And I think the launch of the Art for Justice Fund um, a few years ago just shows that, you know, she, by any standards, had, has had the most unbelievable career as a philanthropist you could imagine, yet she felt like she still had to do more. And so she created Art for Justice. And, and so I think that constantly striving to do more and help more is something that's really inspirational. And also, she is, is one of the places that I learned my, my love for, for artists and having it be about the individual, not, you know, just the institution or the artwork, but really having that human component. And, you know, there's nobody I know who has, you know, these incredibly deep personal relationships with everybody that she works with and really is so focused on the human side of things. And so being able to work with her and learn from her has been really impactful for me. She is an exceptional woman, an exceptional human being, actually. So on the heels of the Black Lives Matter movement, how do you feel trustees can be effective connecting with underrepresented artists and underrepresented staff, employees, curators? So I, I think a lot of we're seeing a lot of very um, important and, and powerful things coming out of the Black Lives Movement. One is organizations' focus on and dedication to diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, accessibility, you know, all these things, which for a lot of organizations, some were doing this and, and doing well, but a lot had not been having these important conversations. So just the fact that that is now a part of 
what organizations have to think about. And, and that means across the board. That means in staffing, that means in programming, that that means in every aspect of an organization. I think you have to look at how that is playing in, how DEI is playing in. I think what a board can do is educate themselves so that they can understand the issues that need to be discussed and addressed and educate themselves so that there is a common language amongst board and amongst staff. Um, And so I think that, you know, internal work of education and understanding ends up going into impacting the the outward work that they're doing, like I said, as far as programming, as far as staffing, really thinking about how it how it ties into every aspect of the organization. And it's it's work that I think a lot have started, but that will not be, there's no conclusion. It's constantly evolving. And so the organizations that are doing it well are not thinking of it in, in short term, you know, they're, they're not thinking of it as, okay, we've, we've checked that box. We've checked the DEI box. Um, they're thinking of it in terms of, you know, this is a part of the future of this organization and always will be. Mm-hmm. Are there trends in the art world that you love? And are there some that you find a little disappointing? Um, you know, one of the things kind of this, and this is, this is relating to kind of Black Lives Matter and uh, one of the things that I'm concerned about is kind of the explosion of a focus on Black artists right now. And I want to make sure that that is something that is sustainable because for any artist, if there's a you know great focus on them, prices are going through the roof, it's a, endless shows, there is a great risk of... Um, having that be very short-lived and burning out and having it not be sustainable. And so I think thinking in terms of sustainability with, you know, continuing to bring Black artists into collections and show them, you know, having it not be something that is a a flash in the pan and then really can um, end up harming the career of the artist. So I, I would like to, you know, people to think about sustainability in terms of, collecting and showing a diversity of artists and having it not just be in this moment and making sure that that continues into the future and that these artists are supported now and long into the future. Some things that I love, I think that there is a focus now of cultural institutions much more on community engagement, on accessibility, on education, And that is something that is so important. You know, I was very lucky that I grew up with grandparents who were constantly taking me to museums and, you know, symphony halls and theaters. And so it was someplace that I felt comfortable and I felt welcome. And there was no intimidation factor or barriers of other kinds um, in continuing to have those cultural experiences. I think I was very lucky in that, and that is certainly not always the case. And so having organizations think about and and talk about how to break down some of these barriers to access, you know, whether that's an intimidation barrier, whether that's a financial barrier, you know, whether that's a geographic barrier, whatever that may be, how do you start breaking down these barriers and start to make these institutions that often have, you know, an ivory tower quality more accessible and more in service to the community. 
I like your answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> How do you keep learning? I think the best way to keep learning is just to keep experiencing. Going to as many talks, shows, performances, programs as possible, listening to podcasts, <laughs> um, speaking with friends who are working in the field as well. It's it's constantly, constantly changing and evolving. And so just trying to be, and with the demands on everybody's time, this can often be very hard, but trying to be present um, as much as possible and just taking in everything. You know, we're very lucky that we live in New York and we are surrounded by more programming than I think any one person could ever begin to take in in a lifetime. Um, but, you know, with one of the advantages of COVID was a lot of, organizations, artists um, doing, you know, virtual programming. So really having that available and taking advantage of that in addition to whatever is going on in person in your community and just trying to be as present for that as possible is is the best way that I can think. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what is the role of the artist? Uh, I, you know, the artists are incredible because I think they reflect in an incredible way, what is going on in the world around us. If you look at the way artists respond to some of the most pressing issues that we are facing right now, whether that's how they're responding to Black Lives Matter, whether that's how they're responding to the atrocious, atrocious oppression that women are facing in our country right now, what has happened in the past week is, I think for many of us, horrifying, unfathomable, indescribable in in the environment, politics, you know, artists reflect all of these issues in their work. And I think make it accessible for many of us in a very different way, make us think about it in a very different way, bring awareness to it in a very different way. It's also, I think a lot of people think when they hear the term artist, they think, somebody, you know, on stage on Broadway or somebody whose work is hanging in a museum or in a gallery. But if you think about it, every single aspect of our life has been touched by an artist. So from the house that you're living in, which was an architect, to the car you're driving or the clothes that you're wearing, which is a designer, the television show you're watching, which is actors and writers and cinematographers, books that you're reading, music that you're listening to. I mean, there is really very little, in, if anything, in your life that has not been touched by an artist. And so I think that recognizing that, that our lives are built around things created by artists and that they would be so horrible and empty without them is something that is really important that, you know, it's it's not just the artists that you're seeing in the cultural institutions kind of where you're expected, but it's really everywhere that you look. Yeah, yeah. Thank goodness that we have them. I know. Yeah, art will save us. This has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate your insight. And this is our last question. What long-lasting impact do you want to have Mm. on people and the world in general? Oh, you know, I, I think if I had to, you know, focus on one thing that I feel like I can have an impact on, it would be to have kind of every young artist who wants to pursue a career in the arts to be able to do so. Because I think the world needs artists, uh, possibly now more than ever. And really the artists of tomorrow need support today. 
And like I was saying at the, you know, to go back to the very beginning of our conversation, it's not something that is easy to find um, or clear to find. And so I think if we are able to work together as a community to support these young people in um, pursuing their passion, pursuing their dreams, pursuing their talents, um, and, and having it be something that we as a society really value and understand and support, I would be very happy if I, would, if I was able to have an impact in that. Yeah. You will. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate your time and you sharing your thoughts. Well, thank you, Phil. It's always so wonderful to talk to you. And, and like I said, I'm incredibly honored to be a part of this great group of people that you speak to. Um, and so thank you for bringing them all to us so that we can learn from them. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. 